today on Ag News Daily. To have our first product, which is going to be a, a vodka. Uh, we're going to be calling it Vodka. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Friday, July 27th. My name is Hannah Pagel, and we are joined by Delaney Howell. She is back from Columbia. So, Delaney, how is it going today? It's good, Hannah. Columbia was very fun. I got to go with the United Soybean Export Council, and they had their annual America's Buyers Conference. So there were, I think, over 130 soybean buyers and producers from all across North and South America, and it was really, it was a really good time. A lot of interesting insight into the soybean industry. We talked, of course, a lot about trade and tariffs and just opening market expansion into Latin American countries. That sounds like a great conference and a discussion to be in on. And folks, we are not joined by Mike Pearson today. He had some business come up, so it'll just be Delaney and I on the podcast for you. But we've got an exciting interview coming on later today. We are mm-hmm. talking about a dairy distillery and what you can do to use every bit of milk that is produced. So before yeah. we get into that, Delaney, do you have any egg news? Yeah, that's going to be a really neat interview, Hannah. I'm sorry I missed it. Um, Before I get to my ag news for today, we had some ag news come out earlier this week. The Made in America event put on by President Trump and Vice President Pence was held at the White House on Monday. And we had an Iowa representative, Kent Nutrition Group, was the only group, of course, from Iowa represented and the only ag group represented at the at the event, and I had the chance to talk to Doyle Tubant, who is their COO of Kent. So let's kick it off really quick here to Doyle. All right, well, we had the Made in America event happening earlier this week in Washington, D.C., and we wanted to get on Doyle Tubant, who is the president and COO of Kent Corporation, because you guys were one of the only ag companies, as I understand it, to be represented at the event. Doyle, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And um, actually, the event, uh, um, the first event was last year, this being the second. And uh, you're correct. We are the only agricultural business represented uh, at the Made in America event. And also, uh, there was only one company from each state that uh, was represented, and we were the one from Iowa and the only ag-based company also. Yeah, that's really, really exciting. Let's take a step back here. Let's explain to folks what is the Made in America event. Made in America event was just uh, featured a, a large array of different type of businesses that uh, their products uh, are strictly made in America. And it was everything from uh, from family-owned businesses to Lockheed, Ford Motor Company, as examples, Ranger Boat, to uh, a group from South Dakota that uh, from Watertown, South Dakota, that uh, manufactured uh, plastics. And uh, there was even a, a, a group, a family uh, group that did uh, bow ties from feathers. Mm. So it was everything from bow ties to uh, uh, fighter jets. So it was very uh, across the board. And again, uh, we represented uh, Iowa, um, certainly from the agricultural side of things. Yeah, that's really exciting to be the only company from Iowa that was picked and the only agricultural company. Do you have any insight as to why or how you guys were selected for this year's event? 
No, we we really don't. And uh, there was no uh, insight to that at the event or before or after. And we would just be guessing as to how it happened. But certainly, um, being in business for 90 years and on our fourth generation, I think that uh, said a lot about uh, how we were picked. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, did you guys just get a call from the White House asking if you wanted to be involved in this year's event? Yeah, actually, that is, that's exactly how it happened. And uh, a staffer from uh, the White House, uh, actually a couple of staffers, and then um, you know we weren't sure um, if it was if it was real or not. Believe or, <laughs> believe that or not. Thought you were getting pranked, <laughs> so, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we almost hung up, and uh, but we didn't, fortunately. And then we started getting calls in from uh, you know contacts uh, in Iowa um, and Iowa State and different people and in, uh, in um, the legislator legislators that uh, heard about it and knew that. Uh, that we were being picked. So we were receiving a lot of confirmation from many, many, many different angles. Yeah, absolutely. So folks on Monday, legislators basically came through and walked through all the different booths. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. On Monday, the event started at uh, uh, 10 o'clock and then went till 4. And um, the first portion of the, uh, the event was uh, that's exactly right. Uh, legislators uh, came through the event and uh, walked through. Uh, Vice President Pence was also part of that, and he uh, uh, made a special point to uh, come to our uh, display. And then uh, President Trump uh, spoke. I believe he was scheduled to speak at one, and it was a little bit later than that. And and I, he also uh, walked through several of the. Uh, the rooms to uh, view their displays and, and uh, set up. So uh, quite the day. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Did any legislators or President Trump, Vice President Pence, did any of them offer any words of encouragement or make any comments when they did stop by your booth? Yeah, um, at our booth, uh, of course, was uh, um Jimmy Kent uh, and Gage Kent, uh, Gage being third generation and uh, Jimmy fourth generation. And our display also showed uh, that we've been, it's our 90th year celebration. So that generated just a tremendous amount of buzz that here's a company that's celebrating our 90th year and both the third and fourth generation are here to be at the event. And that in itself just sort of took over the whole discussion every time somebody came by. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, you're still kind of on cloud nine this week. What What do you think moving forward? Are you guys going to keep promoting this event? Um, do you have any insight into what the next 90 years looks like for Kent? Yeah, we'll, uh, we're, we've been... Uh, uh, promoting this, um, actually, you know, a couple of days before, and uh, certainly uh, here it is uh, Friday after the event, and we're still doing promotions and um, discussions and, and interviews like this, for example, um, to you know just keep the word out, and and we, we're getting a lot of feedback from many different parts of the country, and congratulations and and conversations that we've had, so. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to your question uh, going forward, um, you know, we uh, we we are certainly a growing business. We we have uh, made several acquisitions over the last few years, and um, our feed business, the Ken Nutrition uh, Group, 
is uh, doing well with new introductions or introductions of new uh, feeds, and uh, we're you know, we're a family of uh, several businesses. So uh, growth is growth is everything, and we're certainly growing our international footprint too. So we're we're very excited. It's been a great time in our history right now as to what's happened uh, with the economy and. Uh, and business in the United States and worldwide, actually, and uh, continue to allow us to grow. And and with growth comes, you know, prosperity for a lot of people. Absolutely, and we're very happy and excited that you got to uh, share the news with our listeners today, Doyle Tubont. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. We uh, really appreciate this, and um, and thank you again. All right. Well, that was Doyle Tubont again there with. Kent Nutrition Group, just interesting stuff what they're doing over there at the White House. And of course, there has been a lot of news come out of the White House this week. President Trump was in Iowa yesterday. Hannah, did you did you see any news from that? Um, so Mike said he was at Piazza, which mm-hmm. not, yes, oh that is in Iowa. I'm sorry, I don't know why I was thinking that was in Wisconsin, but yes, he was up at NICC uh, with. What was he talking about? Do you know? Yeah, I I do have a little insight into that. He talked, basically, I think the reason he came to the Midwest at this point in time was just to alleviate some of those farmer concerns about trade issues going on right now. He touched on trade and anxieties that farmers are feeling and and brought, quote, make America, or excuse me, make make our farmers great again hats, because, you know, that was his campaign slogan was make Mm -hmm. America great, so... He uh, just came to alleviate some fears. He did touch on um, E15 a little bit, and that's what's going on there. He said, you know, he feels like they're making moves to get E15 figured out and that they're, quote, very close to pulling off the required vapor pressure waiver for E15, so it could be sold year-round. Um, but earlier this week, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler told reporters that E15 was not going to be part of a package deal. So still watching to see what comes there. But yeah, he basically just talked a lot about trade and and uh, talked about the agreements he's working on. And one of the agreements that the White House came out with earlier this week that they said they're working to, I guess, create a bilateral trade agreement with are Nigeria and the Philippines. So uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said at a Senate hearing yesterday that he thinks that those are going to be their two first agreements created here uh, moving forward, which is, you know, if everybody wants, everybody wants Japan to be that first agreement, but still trying to figure out if Japan is willing to do a free trade agreement with the U.S. And Lighthizer also commented on the trade war with China, and he said that, you know, it's going to be going on for years when he said this at a Senate hearing. But then he also said that they're hoping to get a NAFTA deal worked out with Mexico as soon as August. So that's just next week sometime. So hopefully we can get something going there. But, yeah, there's a lot going on in D.C. these past couple of days. There certainly has been. One thing that did not happen this week, though, was a vote by the Senate to move forward or move towards uh, their conference committee, which is where the House and Senate would come together and create their version of the, the farm bill. They went for recess yesterday and no vote happened. OK, so when do they rejoin together? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'm not positive when they return from recess. I think 
August. I think they have a two-week recess right now. Listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's about a two-week recess. Okay, so we're just going to have to wait mm-hmm. a little bit longer for that farm bill to keep it working its way up. So, Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I lied. It resumes on Monday. This is not their August recess. This is just a short weekend recess. Oh, okay. Well, we can do an update then on Monday then. Yep, should be able to. Perfect. Well, I'm going to switch gears to overseas. So I touched a little bit on this earlier this week about how Europe was trying to figure out how to regulate GMO and genetic engineering plants and whatnot, and they have decided that the European court ruled that gene-edited crops that are used by or that was created using CRISPR will now be regulated the same way as GMOs, which, Delaney, Mm -hmm. you and I both know this is a big setback, especially to the scientists who have been working on this research I I mean, it's just going to take a little bit longer for this technology and these plants to get it onto the market, get onto the system. So I guess I'm not very happy with this court ruling, but I guess it's over in Europe. So what are you going to do? Yeah, and it's interesting. um, Our friend Gary Rasmussen, who uh, is pretty active with us on Twitter and on Facebook, commented on our uh, episode from yesterday, I believe it was, when you guys were talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, getting into the EU and he had a great question. He said, you know, I, he thought the EU was anti-GMO, which of course they are, and they're obviously now anti-CRISPR or gene editing technology. So with this new or potentially new EU trade agreement, are they going to take all U.S. beans because a lot of them are GMO products? No, he made a very good point, and it actually got my gears turning as well because, yeah, Europe is anti-GMO, and the predominantly a lot of the crops that we produce here in the U.S., especially soybeans, is a GMO-traded plant. So, you know, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. But, yeah, it's a very good question. A very good question. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What else do we have going on in the world of news? The other thing, I, I, I guess my last piece of news for today, I have to admit, I didn't keep up to date as much as I should have because I was paying attention more so to what was going on at the conference. Um, but FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb is kicking off the discussion to talk about whether or not products like almond milk or yogurt made with pea protein and not milk should still be labeled as dairy and milk products. So uh, okay. the agency it had a, a nutrition innovation meeting or a, a public meeting with the nutrition innovation strategy and that's one of the things that they're planning to continue to identify. And um, they said either later this summer or early this fall, they're going to set a specific set of questions pertaining to consumer awareness and understanding and basically do a survey and figure out what consumers want to see, what farmers want to see, and move from there. Okay. That's I personally good. think it shouldn't be labeled as milk or, you know, dairy, but I I don't know what you would label it as um, in the meantime. Yeah, I guess I don't really know what you would label it either. It kind of goes back to that discussion with Mike when he was talking about nut juices and yeah, gross. all of that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Fry yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So Delaney, the last piece of news that I have for you, it's more of a fun piece. Um, so Farmers can look to Twitter to now detect corn diseases. So Nathan Klazaki, uh, he is a plant pathologist at the University of Illinois. 
he told Brownfield Egg that you can post pictures of different corn diseases or um, corn symptoms on Twitter. And if you tag him in the photo, you can tag him at ilplantdoc or you can also tag at corn diseases. And they just send a picture their way using Twitter and they, Nathan and a bunch of other plant pathologists will then look to identify the disease for you and help you. Uh, they'll provide feedback and then they'll also help to diagnose or figure out what type of treatment to use to treat the plant. Um, but it's kind of interesting because they're hoping that this will also be used as a tool, as a way to help track and map diseases across the country. Hmm. So. Hannah, that sounds like an interesting Tech Tuesday interview possibility. You know, it does. We'll have to get them on here and shoot them an email. Yeah, so. we will. Interesting what they're doing, especially with Twitter and Facebook. I guess I didn't really ever consider that before. I don't. It's just amazing to see to see what people are doing to kind of think outside of the box here. You know, I thought the same thing. I even was like, I I was surprised that it wasn't already a thing. But I guess you know just. It's a perfect way to have a discussion and, like you said, hopefully track uh, the disease or symptoms mm-hmm. across the across the U.S. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it sounds like you and Mike are going to have a great discussion coming up here, but should we get to the markets before we do that? Let's do that, Delaney. What All are the right. markets looking like today? Yeah. Well, of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group in Chicago, we had a, a good day today, but we don't always have good days in today's volatile markets. So go ahead and give them a call at 312-277-0050 to learn about how their strategies can help protect you during today's times. Let's start here in the corn pits. The September corn contract traded up a half a cent today at 362, even while the December contract also rallied half a cent at 376 and a quarter. The, the soybean contract's August contract up nine and a quarter cent to close at eight seventy and a half, while the Novi contract also fought to put on nine and a quarter cent at eight eighty five and a quarter. Wheat pit giving up some of its strength it had earlier in the week. The September wheat contract closed down six cents at five thirty and a half, while the December contract gave up six and a half cents at five fifty even. Hopping over into the live cattle pit, the August contract. The August contract finished up 67.5 cents at 108.62.5, while the October contract put on $1.10 at 110.47.5. Continued strength here in the feeder cattle pit, the August contract put on 87.5 cents to close at 152.30, while the September contract put on 35 cents to close at 152.17.5. Jumping over to look at the lean hog markets, gave up quite a bit today. The August contract shed $1.25 to close at 63.65, while the October contract lost $1.37 and a half to close at 50.87 and a half. It looks like that summer rally might be over for the lean hog markets. And of course, running out the morning, running out the afternoon here with our dairy friends, the August contract put on 16 cents to close at 15.01, while the September contract put on 9 cents to close at 15.64. Now, before we get to today's Friday interview, let's hear a quick word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? 
Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease. Uh, a fungal disease that can't be treated with a with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are are labeled for Physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of of leaf symptoms. Um, but 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 a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. Well, folks, for our Friday, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going north of the border to Canada. We're talking to Omid McDonald. He is the founder and CEO of a very unique distillery called Dairy Distillery. Omid, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, great to be uh, with you guys. Bring us up to speed. Dairy Distillery. What do you guys do? Well, we're turning um, uh, milk sugar into amazing, amazingly smooth alcohol. So uh, we're uh, taking a product known as uh, Milk Permeant, which is a a byproduct of the ultra-filtered uh, milk production process. So what happens is the milks uh, are collected from the farmers. It, it comes into a large uh, processor. They take away the uh, the butter, uh, the fats for butters and ice cream. Then they have all that skim milk. And to make it cheaper to ship to yogurt and cheese manufacturers, they uh, concentrate the proteins using a technology called reverse osmosis. And when they do that, they get a, a liquid which they call uh, milk permeate, which is a, very, a high lactose uh, liquid. And uh, right now they have uh, no use for this liquid and hundreds of millions of liters of it is being produced and currently uh, just thrown out. And so we've been working with the university here in Ottawa on, on finding a way to convert that into tasty spirits. Now, Omid, can you break it down for me? What was going with that? You said milk permeate. Is that what you called that that waste part? That's right. Yeah, uh, I, I don't like using the word the term waste because it's uh, it's just something that in the milk uh, process that they haven't found a use for. But yes, that's it's called milk permeate. It's the, the uh, lactose leftover lactose in the milk, which has been uh, extracted uh, through this process. And that's and lactose is a sugar, and any sugar uh, with the right uh, yeast can be converted into alcohol. Perfect. So I was looking on your guys' website, and it said that there were some. It had some like hazardness to like the environment. Can you maybe touch a little bit on what that Merck Permate was doing, and then the reason why you were wanting to switch it into creating a product out of it? Yes, yeah, so the um, lactose uh, has a high uh, biological demand, so it will eat the oxygen in the water if you were to just dump it into a, a river or, or what have you. So it has to be treated. So it's a, it's a 
burden on the environment. Uh, so what uh, right now they have to essentially build uh, treatment facilities to dispose of this safely, which is a burden on farmers. So here in, in Ontario, the farmers actually pay directly for the uh, disposal of this by by getting a, a lower blend price for their for their milk. So it's it's a economic problem because it's hurting uh, hurting farmers. It's an environmental problem as this stuff uh, can't be uh, released in the environment. And also it's a, it's a PR problem for the, the dairy industry. No one wants to see one-third of what's coming out of the cow uh, end up in the ground. You bet. So now give us the, the story. We know of milk permeate. It exists. And you got the idea to turn it into spirits. What was that process like? What was the, the decision process to go, hey, let's build a distillery here in Ontario to utilize this product? Well, I've been fascinated with uh, craft uh, distilling for about five years now. Actually, I was down in uh, South Carolina in Charleston and visited a craft distillery and just fell in love with the, with the equipment, with the whole store, story, the process. And so I, I was thinking, okay, I'd like to do something, uh, a lo- uh, uh, do a craft distillery. And my uh, uh, cousin, his uh, uncle is a dairy farmer, and, we were, uh, and he described this problem of excess skim milk in, in Ontario. So we did some research and discovered it's a, a worldwide problem. Then we engaged with uh, the Canadian Dairy Commission, which is the federal government uh, division responsible for supply management here in Canada. And they said, well, we should go out and talk to people for supply. And uh, so I just started cold calling and uh, fell upon someone at Parmalat, which has a, uh, the largest dairy processing factory. It's just an hour from us uh, uh, and they they have just come online with ultra filter milk production. And they're like, oh, well, you've come just at the right time. We have uh, endless supply of this milk permeate, and so that's where we decide, okay, we're going to uh, focus on on uh, figuring out how to convert that into alcohol. So we partnered with the University of Ottawa with a biologist there, and and figured out that fermenting lactose is technically quite complex, but uh, we're really happy that the the end result is a buttery smooth alcohol. So can you break it down for us a little bit on the type of products that you have created or is it already out on the market that you guys are selling or what what are some of the products that you've created? So we're just coming online now. We've uh, uh, finished the construction of the distillery and we actually got our first delivery of milk permeate uh, uh, yesterday. We got 3,000 liters roll in here on a, on a giant uh, truck. And uh, so we're, in the next six months, we're just going to be, sorry, six weeks, we're going to be uh, refining the process to have our first product, which is going to be a, a vodka. Uh, we're going to be calling it Vodkow, and, and that will be <laughs> our, our first release. Now, are there any other distilleries operating at a commercial scale utilizing lactose or milk permeate? Yes. Well, the, the uh, uh, fermenting uh, lactose to uh, make alcohol has... Uh, been done before. Uh, Genghis Khan uh, was drinking a uh, fermented mare's milk, and that's uh, hmm. what how he got happy. But um, uh, more uh, recently, in the 70s, uh, the um, in New Zealand they were fermenting uh, whey, which is a byproduct of cheese production, to make uh, alcohol for uh, cars, uh, for running cars, and so that, that was during the oil crisis. But that uh, sort of uh, died off. But more recently, with the whole resurgence of craft distilling. So, uh, some people have been looking at 
uh, using uh, lactose again. So there's a, a great distillery in, in the United Kingdom that does a, a product. Um, there's a couple in New Zealand, Australia. Uh, we're the only ones in Canada. I'm not sure uh, what's happening in the United States so far, but there people are paying more attention because to lactose, is it, it's a very clean sugar and it produces an extremely pure alcohol. And uh, so it's a, a, a better product and it's also good for the environment and farmers. Now, and actually, oh, sorry, Hannah, go ahead. I was just curious, I mean, if you could maybe touch on the like target audience that you were trying to reach. Is it more of that that spirit enthusiast who's looking for like a new liquor or alcohol to like try out and taste, or are you trying to reach more of like dairy enthusiasts? Well, the, um, uh, we're looking for, for people who are looking for something new. And, and right now, uh, like it's happened in beer, a lot of people are, are now, uh, thinking of, uh, going beyond their standard, uh, standard alcohols or beer. So there's definitely a lot of people looking for, uh, for something different. But our bigger vision is this, uh, there's actually a, an, another example in history. Uh, rum, for example, was created to look after a, a byproduct of the uh, sugar production process. So they, they produce uh, uh, molasses as a byproduct of making sh- uh, sugar, and that was uh, being dumped. And then one day somebody figured out, oh, well, we could convert this molasses into rum, and, and it's now one of the biggest spirit categories out there. So if we can uh, create a movement to making use of lactose, we can uh, start using up all this excess uh, milk sugar out there. Absolutely. And when I think about the science, and we've talked a lot on the podcast in the past, I'm not a scientist, Omid, so maybe correct me if I'm mistaken here, but if I'm going to break corn into bourbon, there's the first step where I've got to break that kernel down to free up the sugar before then I can start the fermentation process. Utilizing lactose, are you already starting at that second step? You already have the sugars free? Does it make it... Um, I guess, are there any more efficiencies in utilizing the lactose product? That's a great point, and yes, there are. The, there, the lactose does have to be broken down into its component sugars, as it. Uh, okay. Uh, but it, it's not as complex as the uh, process that they have to do for breaking down the grains uh, so that the, their sugars can be uh, fermented. So there's a huge energy savings and time savings in, in, in using lactose. But also, more importantly, it, it uh, from uh, like uh, what we found, the actual alcohol produced uh, does have a different and superior characteristic. So uh, we, we think it's a it's a win win. And that kind of leads me to my second question: from lactose coming in the front, vodka rolling out, or vice versa, lactose coming in the back door to vodka rolling out the front door. What is the time requirement in fermentation and aging in the the whole process? Well, a vodka is not an aged uh, product, so a, a lot of craft distillers will start with that because it, it doesn't require the aging oh. process. Uh, so uh, we can, uh, from input to output, uh, we're on a two-week cycle. Uh, but we will look at uh, uh, aging uh, a lactose a liquor. No one's ever done it, uh, in the, we've never found anyone who's tried it. So we're going to put, uh, uh, put some of this into barrels, let it sit for a couple of years and see what it gives. Maybe we'll get a good, get a mooski out of it. That is cool. Now, I've noticed vodka, muski, 
when you're utilizing or when you're using these names for marketing, is it specifically for marketing or do the different spirit categories have requirements as what can be utilized to make vodka, bourbon, blah, 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 blah? Hey, that's a, uh, uh, another great point. So it's actually interesting. In the United States, the, the, the regulations, there are no uh, definition of what vodka could be made from. So hmm. you can make vodka from uh, from corn, from potatoes, from grain, from beets, sugar, what, what have you. And, and the same applies in the uh, European Union. But in Canada, there's a, a, a limitation where that you have to make your vodka from uh, potato or, or grain. And I, uh, I figure that 100 years ago when they wrote the regulations, no one ever thought that you'd make vodka out of anything else, and so that, that's what they wrote. But we're working with our, our local member of parliament to have that regulation uh, changed uh, so that uh, we've been able to label it in Canada as a, as a vodka. So uh, when vo- uh, vodka ships to the United States, we could actually label it vodka, but in Canada uh, we, we can't, which is... That's a funny little side story. Yeah, I, I just I always assume there's weird little ticks when it comes to alcohol regulation. Yeah. And another component of that would be, can Americans, as far as you know, purchase vodka online? Is that a possibility? Online, no. The the alcohol uh, area is incredibly controlled, so there's no uh, free trade when it comes to alcohol. So we, uh, but we do plan to uh, work with distributors to get the product into uh, the United States down the road. But uh, right now, our facility uh, uh, that we've built could accommodate uh, 150,000 bottles a year. So it's a tiny supply of, uh, at this time, which will be uh, uh, consumed uh, quite locally here in Ontario and maybe some other provinces. But our our goal is that this will be a, a big hit and that we'll scale it up and be in the United States uh, for people to enjoy it there. And Omid, if our listeners have any questions or want to learn more about your products, where can they go? Or for sample more inter- it. Exactly. Where can they go to learn more information? Well, the website at uh, dairydistillery.com has all our contact information. You can check out our, our – we're on Instagram and Facebook. So we're uh, posting a lot of interesting uh, stories as we develop this product. And uh, – and be happy to, to respond to anybody uh, with questions, and uh, and hopefully and very soon we'll be giving tastings. So, uh, yeah, please do reach out. Well, Delaney, what do you think? Would you ever try some dairy distillery vodka or how they were saying vodka on the, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the interview? Heck, yeah, sign me up for it. I know. It sounded interesting. He was saying how it was like a, a buttery, sweet, salty kind of concoction. I don't know. I think we should go up to Canada to give it a try. I do too. Road tripping it to Canada. Let's do it. Well, Delaney, if our listeners want to get a hold of us or learn more about other podcast episodes, where can they go for more information? That's a great question, Hannah. They can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We're always sharing things there by searching for Ag News Daily. You can also head to our website to listen to all our old episodes by heading to agnewsdaily.com. With that, Hannah, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.